see. Yeah, that's where God lives. He visits everywhere else. You know that, don't you? I believe that with all my heart. In the Bible, God's on the mountain. He visits all the lowlands. Now, uh, before we get really spiritual, I promise somebody, I don't remember who, I don't remember who, so see me after the service. Uh, I talked about these aprons when I, when I first got married, and Denise and I went to a marriage seminar. Actually, we were having, she was pregnant with Tessa, and we were in Springfield, Missouri, doing a seminar, and there was a session on sex and marriage on Saturday morning, three-day seminar, and this college professor is going to teach us. And she walked out that morning, and, uh, and I've been enjoying it. It's been good. Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. This is the last day. And she opens up that morning and says, about 1,200 people in the auditorium. She says, well, today we're going to talk about sex and marriage. And she opened up with a statement. She said, dishes, diapers, dinner, and sex. One's about as much fun as the other. <laughs> now, this is a Christian seminar, and I'm sitting there like, so I heard her say that, and I turned to Denise, who's eight months pregnant, Tessa said, what, what's she talking about? And Denise said, you shut up. You're about to learn something. And I learned that morning that, that men do what they want to do. Women do what they have to do. You know, we come home from work. Mom's still got to get dinner ready and help kids with the homework and pack their backpacks and get the laundry done and clean up the kitchen. Daddy can go in and take a nap and watch Monday Night Football and eat two pieces of cake, take another nap. Mom will finally plop down on the couch about 11 o'clock, greasy, tired, and dirty. Well, he's refreshed. His favorite team's won. His belly's full of chocolate cake. He'll look over and he'll wink at her. You <laughs> And she'll say something, shut up, don't touch me. <laughs> and then he'll get mad, it's always about the kids, it's always the stinking kids. And so Denise was, thank you, come on. Denise was explaining to me as we were walking out of that session, she said, Joe, in case you didn't understand what you learned in the last 50 minutes, if you want me to play kissy face at 11, I need you in the kitchen with an apron on at 7. So I went and had this custom made. It's called Let's Play Kissy Face. And so I've had this for years, and people started asking me about it. I said, you got one of those? No, I just had one custom made. And so somebody here asked me for one, and so I brought it to you. And I don't know who you are, so see me after the service. So this is yours. Now, Isaiah. Look at the book of Isaiah. We're in the greatest time of human history. I'm going to give you what I just taught my kids last week. They were in my office. I bring them in once a week, and we sit down and we visit. Trying to encourage us. Guys, this is the greatest time in history to be alive. Please don't go stupid on me. Uh, we were talking on the financial seminar when I was back earlier in the year about vision, how vision is critical. Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, you perish. Because if you're not chasing something, you're being opposed right now. If you are chasing something, you're being opposed right now. The Bible says the tests and trials of life come to everybody. You and I are not home. We're on an alien planet. Satan is the little g-god of this planet. When Adam sinned, he turned control of this planet over to the devil. Before Adam sinned, things were wonderful. There was no crime. Economy was great, clothes were cheap, weather was perfect. Adam sinned, sin has death attached to it, and God told him, now that you sinned, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, uh, thorns and thistles are going to be in your garden, woman, you're going to have pain in childbirth, your marriage is going to go through hell on earth, woman, your desire now is going to be, instead of submitting to your husband, your desire will be to rule over him, but he will ruthlessly rule over you. So sin killed this planet, it killed relationships, and so everything went stupid. So all of a sudden you begin to read, starting in Genesis, with what happened now after Satan became God of this planet. When, when Adam turned the dominion that God had given him over this planet to the devil, well, everything went bad. And then you read all the way up until you got Noah, you know, and there's Noah. What's going on with Noah? Well, it's a big boat deal. God says, Noah, I need you to build a boat. Why? Well, because everybody's gone stupid. I'm going to drown every one of them. 
Now, that's just pretty much the summation of it. Nobody's serving me. The devil's got everybody against me going and listening to him. Nobody's listening to me anymore. So build a boat, put your family on it. We'll drown everybody. We'll start all over with you. Well, you know the story of the flood. lasted about a year. The boat lands. They get out. They build an altar. They worship God. The boys scatter, and all of a sudden, the earth gets repopulated. The next big story is the Tower of Babel. What's going on? The devil has rallied the entire world against God again. And so Nimrod shows up. He's going to lead the world against God. We're going to build a tower all the way to heaven. We'll take that. We've taken the earth. We'll go take heaven. And God looks down and says, well, they've gone stupid on me again. Well, I can't drown them. I promised the last time I wouldn't flood them again. That's why I made the rainbow. I promised no more flood. So what am I going to do this time? Well, this time he confuses their languages. So all of a sudden they're laying bricks on that big tower one day. And somebody says, hey, hand me a brick. Some other guy says, blah, blah, blah. I said, a brick. I need a brick. The guy said, blah, blah, blah. And basically they couldn't understand each other, so they stopped building the tower and they scattered again. Well, now we're up to the book of Revelation. <laughs> Here we are again. What's happening? The devil's rallying the entire world against God. There is a one world government, a one world economy coming. Why? The devil's mad at God. Well, they can't get at God. So he's gone after God's image. That's humans. That's why there's disease and stealing and killing and destroying and famine and earthquakes. Why? The devil's mad. He knows his time's about up. He's throwing a fit like a five-year-old thumb sucker. He's about to be dropped into the bottomless hole for a thousand years. God's going to let him back out. Then he's going to boil for eternity. That's where he's going, and he knows it. So he's mad. So here you and I are on this planet. We are not home. We are passing through. We're behind enemy lines. We've been saved, redeemed out of that old curse, coming out of that old kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So we are like stormtroopers behind enemy lines. What are we doing? Well, we're seeking and saving the lost. We're feeding the hungry. We're helping the orphans. We're helping the widows. We help those in need. We are the salt and the light of this planet. There is no life on this planet outside of us. The church is the only thing living on this planet. Everything else outside the church is dying or will die. You understand that? People looking for hope. Well, there, somebody will save us. No, they won't. God's already saved us, but you don't know that. If you don't know that, then you don't feel saved. And that's why we're trying to keep elect politicians. That's why we're mad at politicians. We're in for the, another presidential race, and we've never elected a president we really liked. We might like them after they're dead or gone or whatever. We'll build something to them, but not while they're in there. We don't like you. We voted for you to fix us, and we're not fixed. We're a broke. Economy's bad. Things are going good. It's your stinking fault. And forever we've looked for a human. Please, human, please save us. And that's what the Antichrist is. The entire world will look for a human. Please, human, save us. There's only one source of salvation. It's God. And if you don't know that, you're one incredibly frustrated individual. Because there is no life outside of God. There is no love outside of God. There's no hope outside of God. There's no need met outside of God. God has supplied all of our need, but the world doesn't know that. That's why we have to go preach and teach the gospel. Well, it is good to get on the college campus is to go and seek out and save the lost. Amen. They're not coming to us. We go to them. That's good. What this is, this is where we come to get fed and fellowship and repent and forgive and get built up and go out and do the work of the ministry. This is the training center. That's why there's not enough of us. We need more training centers. Now, I'm going to give you some numbers this morning. It's going to kind of mess with you a little bit, but I'm going to take this out of two things. So everything, because I'm going to start talking real fast here in just a second. This is sort of a short, but it's going to be real quick. It's called the power of vision, because I've told my kids, there are heathens who don't know Jesus who are doing incredibly well. 
They're doing good. How come God's blessing? Well, God's not blessing. They're using the gift that God gave them because God gifts everybody. Everybody's gifted at the moment of conception. Uh, your gift doesn't take you to heaven. Jesus takes you to heaven. Your gift is for this planet. And there are some people who found their gift and they're using it. They don't know God, but they're using their gift. Last August and I was here, I went over to the Failures Hall of Fame. They're incredibly successful people. But there's also a spiritual thing. You know, David prayed to God. He was mad. If you read the psalm, he was mad. God, why did the heathen prosper? Of course, you've got to read it. Now, the New Living Translation reads it real well. He said, well, they prosper because the devil's already got them. What? Why, why are their cattle not dying? Why are their kids not crazy? You know, how come they're still married? What's going on with them? How come they, they're not going through hell? Because the devil's got them. The devil is not a torturer. He's a murderer. The devil is not a torturer. He's a murderer. He's got them. They're dead. When they die, they'll burn in hell forever. He's got them, so he's not bothering them. Did you get that? The devil's not bothering because he's got them. They're blessed and happy and whatever. Man, isn't it great? <laughs> oh, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. What happens to people that get saved? Well, Mark 4 says when the word comes, the devil comes immediately. There's only one thing the devil's afraid of. That's God's word in our heart coming out of our mouth. He's not stupid. And so you get saved, it's like that's why you have armor. You know, Ephesians, we don't preach it much. You know, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, sword of the spirit. Why do you wear that? We don't take that off at 5 o'clock. You're going to need that because once you get saved, you're a marked individual. Hell's coming. <laughs> now you get to whip hell every day. And if you don't whip hell every day, it will descend on you. And so I tell people, you need a vision of who you are and what you're doing here. And so when I taught the financial seminar earlier this year, I told about the six questions I go through with my kids. Who, what, where, how, why, when. Who are you? What are you doing here? Where are you going? And so I pounded on them, man. They still come to my office once a week, and I pound on them. They come in. I got a big whiteboard I put up in my lobby. It's like, sit down. You're going to teach you something. Because I don't care how smart you are, how good looking you are. I don't care if you made all-state basketball or you made straight A's in school. If you don't get Jesus inside of you, if you don't get his plan for your life, you're going to get stomped. Good people don't make it because you're marked. You're born again in spirit filled. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. The devil does not like you. So you're going to need to resist him and whip him. It's an adventure. It is like going to Disney and never coming home. It's what you're going to get to do. So all of a sudden they're coming in. Now they're starting to get excited because they're starting to get aggressive. You know, you get aggressive. It's a lot more fun to live life aggressively than just to sit and wait till the next thing hits you. Now bring up kind of tonight, we're going to talk about this thing called Smart Moms, which is something I did on the, the Sons of Thunder. Because when I was going through this, I was trying to find names of people. And I said, you ever heard of the Sons of Thunder? And I said, what? Jesus' cousins, Peter, James, and John, they were the first three staff that he hired. He nicknamed them. Those are the only ones he nicknamed, Peter, James, and John, the Sons of Thunder. Why? Because he knew them. He grew up with them. They were cousins. Uh, Salome, the mother, uh, sister of Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus. Uh, they were family. You know, when Jesus go to the Sea of Galilee, he'd stay with Salome and then Zebedee. And, and so all of a sudden, you know, Jesus is walking down the shore one day, and there's Zebedee with his boys fishing, and he looks up. Now, this is in the Easter movie. Jesus is walking down the shore, and he says, Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And it's like they went into a trance. They dropped their nets. They just started following him. Well, that's not the real story. The real story is they're cousins. They grew up together. They played together. And Zebedee knew something. This is the Son of God. He's told his boys, boys, this is the Son of God. I mean, Zebedee, Jesus is on his way to the cross, and, and, and Salome hits the, hits the dirt on the way to the cross. She's following with her two boys, James and John, the sons of thunder. She's a, their mama's boy, I guess. I don't know what you think about that. And all of a sudden, Jesus has just said, after three and a half years of ministry, he's heading to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross. Now, boys, I'm getting ready to go die. You know that, don't you? Let me explain this to you. You know why I'm here? I'm here to take your place. I'm going to the cross. They're going to kill me. As soon as that comes out of his mouth, Salome hits the ground right at his feet. <clears throat> Grabs him by his coat. 
Master, can I ask a favor of you? And Jesus says, yes, yes, Salome, what can I do for you? Well, you know, after all this order ends and you come into your glory, can my son sit on either side of you when you come into your kingdom? Now, mamas are always pushing for their kids to do great things. And that's what she's doing. Now, I don't know exactly about this cross stuff, but I do know you're the son of God. You're going to rule and reign over the universe. When you do that, I want my boys, one sitting on one side of you, one on the other. And Jesus did get mad at her. He said, well, now, I really can't answer that. Only my father knows where everybody's sitting. I don't know. <laughs> the point of that story is, and we'll get to it tonight, is if you're not pressing in, you're not getting anything because the devil's a thief. Nobody builds a church. You think the devil wants a church sitting on the hill? You know what this church here? You close this thing down. You know, he's tried half a dozen times. <laughs> yeah, it's in your history. So what do you get to do? Get up and whip him. So I've told my kids, don't ever come to my office telling me how bad work is. Work's horrible. Shut up. You're the salvation of your place of employment. Keep praying for your boss. What, that idiot? Well, that's probably why you're having problems. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue, and it is what you say it is. You praying for it, you interceding over it, you being salt and light, you smiling real big, you going the second mile, you showing up early and staying late, or you just a thumb sucker hiding out in the bathroom gossiping about everything's not going good. <laughs> I'm just talking about somebody else, not you. <laughs> Isaiah 40, there's three passages here. Isaiah 40, this is real good. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to jump in here at uh, verse 25. God's talking to Israel. Here's what he says, Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? Who brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name? Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. God never loses anything. It's an incredible thought to not lose anything. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Now, what happened is Israel's thumb-sucking to God. God, you don't care what's going on, man. Life's hard and times are bad. He don't like it and time's not good. And where are you at? And God says, what's the matter with you, you thumb sucker? What's the matter with you? you not look up. you not know who I am, what I do? Now watch this. Oh, Israel, how can you say that God ignores your rights? Whoa. Now, I've never prayed that, but they did. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. You ever get, anybody been tired lately? You ever get those thoughts? Dear God, we're never going to get out of this. We're never going to get out of this. It's never going to get any better. It's just getting deeper. The economy's getting worse. My God, we're going to hell in the handbags and it's nothing going on. There's nothing going on. Others have said it. We're not the first. He said... This is the everlasting. He never grows weak, nor wherever who can measure that he gives power to the weak. So if you're weak, maybe I need to hook up and get some power. Strength to the powerless. Even young people will become weak and tired, and young men will fail in exhaustion. They'll just fall down. There are people who look strong naturally, and they're going to fall on their face. Why? This isn't a natural thing. This is a spiritual thing. And if we don't get our priorities in line, we're not going to make it. Oh, that's good. I'm talking to myself. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not faint. I like that. I want to run and not get weary. Man, I run. I like jog a little bit. Man, it don't take long for me to get tired. 
God says, no, you'll run and not get weary. And he's talking about spiritual things. Now listen, I'm going to read these two passages to you. Show you something. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. This is a great prayer out of Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. I taught my kids to pray years a long time ago. Here's what he said in verse 16 of Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that, that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will, watch this now, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. I'm going to say it again. I pray, Paul said, what are you doing about church today? Well, I'm praying for them. What? That God's glorious unlimited resources will empower you with inner strength. What kind of strength? Inner strength. In your spirit. In your spirit. Not working out with weights. Man, we are consumed with our flesh in this country. Every strap shopping center has got a workout place and a tanning salon. And you ought to take care of yourself. But that's not where the important thing is for a believer. It's inside. In here. we got to beef this up. How do you beat this up? God created us for one reason. He likes to fellowship with us. He likes hanging out. Ephesians 5, it says, A husband and wife's like a type of Christ in the church. God is romantic. God is very romantic. He likes hanging out. He likes visiting. That's why God inhabits praise. That's why it's called the sacrifice of praise. And most times we don't feel like doing it. Let's go praise God. I don't feel like praising God. You never do. That's why it's called the sacrifice of praise. Shut up. Get your armpits open. Start thanking God. So, because the Bible says that God inhabits praise, not what you feel like. I don't feel like doing it. Shut up. Get your arms up. Start praising God. That's why most churches, people skip praise and worship, and they come for the meat. I want to come for the meat. The word, I'm coming for the meat. Well, if you don't marinate that meat, it's going to choke you. That's good. Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4 says this. This one thing. Everybody say one thing. One thing. I went through one time. And I, I'm, I'm an old engineer, so I like, I like getting things simplified. Matter of fact, my, my actual job description, I was called a, I was an electrical engineer, but they call me a process engineer. I understood the electrical things that we made, but my job was to make it run faster and better. That was my job. I did that full time. What did they hire you for? I'm to simplify this process of manufacturing. We need to make it faster and better because that converts to cash. If this machine's not making us money, shut it down. We're here to make money. This is not a hobby. Triangle wire and cable is not a hobby place. It is a money-making place. We're not making money. We will shut this place down. We'd already shut down the East Coast office, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Why? They couldn't make any money. So we took all the extra machines we had. We moved into Missouri with a bunch of farmers. We thought farmers will work. That's why we moved to Missouri. Where'd you go to Saxonville? Farm country. Why? Farmers work. They have no choice. Good weather, bad weather, you have to work hard if you're a farmer. There's no option or you're broke. So we thought if we go to Missouri where the farmers are, we'll get some good hardworking people who will come to this place and they will work. And we'll make this stuff better. But we weren't stupid. We'd go visit our competitor. It was iron strikes iron, so the countenance of a friend. If some, I say this all the time. If somebody's doing better than me, it's not because they're smarter than me. It's because they know something I don't know. It's not because they're holier or God loves them more or they're more sanctified. It's just they know something I don't know. My people destroyed for lack of knowledge. Somewhere we used to go about twice a year. We'd go visit competitors. I remember one time we went down to Southwire in Atlanta. They were our number one competitor. They weren't our competitor. We were a dwarf compared to them. They were huge. So we just flew down there to visit with him. Went in about lunchtime. We knocked on the door. and uh, The personnel office said, can we help? He said, this is Bill Clark. I'm Joe McGee. We're from Triangle Wire and Cable, Saxon, Missouri. We'd like to see your engineer. And so this guy comes in. I said, can I help you? He said, yes. Yeah. Bill was doing the talking because I'm working for him. My name's Bill Clark. I'm chief engineer for uh, uh, Triangle Wire and Cable. He used to be with Olin Matheson. 
it's my associate Joe McGee. Uh, we'd like to come take a tour of your plant. You'd like to what? We'd like to tour the Southwire plant. Can, we, can you give us a tour? What do you want a tour for? Well, because you do, you do better than we do. You make better product. You make more money. You make more product. We'd just like to see how you do it. Because we like to get better, and you're the best, so we thought we'd come see you. He stared at us just for a minute, then he bust out laughing and cussed. Blankety blank. Well, come on in. And he invited us in. He gave us a, it took four hours. We took a three-hour tour of the plant, showed us everything they did, how they made it, how they was good at it, and then he went and bought us lunch. <laughs> One of the things we learned is um, all the wiring and all these cables hanging off all the sound equipment up here, real small, thin copper wire braided wire. Very difficult to make that because uh, to braid that you have to feed a machine that puts the neoprene, the plastic over that and if you pull that wire too tight you shrink the diameter which lessens how much electricity can flow through it. Very sensitive thing. Well to pull a wire it stretches it, it makes it smaller and it doesn't work. Sometimes it makes it brittle and it breaks so very difficult to get up to speed with those real tiny wires. And so we were touring Southwire, and we found a great secret. They had two giant cones. It looked like a giant Playtex bra. It was massive. <laughs> and it's sitting here at the front of all these big machines, these big steel bras. And what they'd done, and they had the reels of wire, this very small wire, instead of pulling it off the reel, boom, 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 they had turned the reel sideways like a giant spool of thread. And so they get up to speed, and all of a sudden that wire would hit the inside of that big steel bra, come down the cone, and it would not shrink the diameter and they could go where we could only run at 1200 feet a minute they could run it at 4000 feet a minute so we took that idea we went back home and got our own steel bras now it took about three months to perfect it but we got it up to 4000 feet a minute and we increased our profit 300 fold what did God move no we were ignorant about how to do this you go ask a question but most people are arrogant and prideful. The flesh is very prideful. Man, that's nothing. I don't need you. I don't need nobody. You little thumb sucker. Flesh your heart. You're just a 40-year-old thumb sucker. I deal with the marriage counselor all the time. I don't need you. I don't need nobody. Bless your ignorant heart. You are blind as a bat, aren't you? God created you to need everybody. You're part of the body of Christ. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The foot can't say to the head, I don't need you. We all need each other. The minute your flesh gets mad, you'll think, I don't need anybody. Bless your heart, you're in a dangerous place. Because the devil's attracted to weakness. You get isolated by yourself, nasty's coming. Not good. Anyhow, God's trying to tell him here. He said, listen, I, I'm going to be your strength. But if you don't draw close to me, God says, if you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. You ask, I'll answer. Seek, find, knock, open. God says, you stare at me, I'll stare back. So the one thing I pounded on the kids, number one, I got to make sure you know who you are and what you're doing here. So I pound vision constantly. We renew it and take tests. Who are you? What are you good at? Because you're going you're gonna to make money with your strength, not your weakness. If you're not making much money, you're probably out of place or you're just on the food chain moving up. And you got to start on the bottom rung. So who are you and what are you good at? Quit. God never blessed me. Shut up. God's always blessing. He's a good God all the time, 24 hours a day, never stops being good. There are angels everywhere. <laughs> flapping wings all around you, but you've got to do what you're supposed to be doing. So who are you? What are you doing? Once you get that, we get that vision written out like we talked about last time I was here. Then you've got to start praying. Because here's the difficult thing Christians still don't understand. Just because God reveals his will doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
Throughout the New Testament, God showed his will, but then I need you to ask me. Ask me what? My will. You already told me what your will is. Yeah, but it won't happen if you don't ask. We're on an alien planet. We're on an alien planet. Satan's the God of this planet. Jesus had to come down here as a human. God could not come down here as God. He gave it away to a human. A human submitted to the devil. The devil's got it. A human lost it. First Adam. Second Adam, a human had to get it back. God does not cheat. One Adam lost it, another Adam had to get it back. God had to come as a human. He could not cheat. And even then he couldn't come unless he came through a human. That's why Abraham gave his son. I've told you this story so many times. That's why God came here legally. When Jesus came out of the grave, died for all mankind, came out of the grave three days later, went up into heaven four days later. When Jesus left this planet, famine, disease, death, down and war still happened. Well, if Jesus is Lord and God, why well, there's hell? Well, because we're on an alien planet. Prayer is not a religious thing you do. It's a legal thing. You have not because you ask not. Jesus said, I know what you need, but I need you to ask. Why? It's not legal. I cannot legally come to earth unless you ask me. It's not legal. I got a big family. And this will be here in a second, sir. We got a big family. Call all the time. Crying, squalling. One God, and the big thing in every question, one God, let this happen. God didn't let this happen. God's not in charge. He's in heaven. What? They, and they, that's not right. That's because you don't read your Bible. If you read your Bible, you would read Satan is the little G God of this planet. That's why the news is full 24 hours a day and seven channels of hell and death and destruction, damnation, bad economy, bad weather, bad crops. Oh, it's bad. Why is this? When God, he's in heaven. They're singing to him. It's air conditioned. He's not down here. We're down here. The head went home, left the body behind. If it's going to happen, it will happen through us. People don't get saved if we don't witness. Hungry people don't get food if we don't feed them. Thirsty people don't get water if we don't give it to them. Orphans won't get help if we don't go help them. We are the salt and the light of this planet. Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's why we've got to pray without ceasing. Why? God opened doors, so I'll ask him. Throughout the Bible, that's why God immediately will pray. You don't say, well, if I pray an hour, will he move more? No, God will move on a five-second prayer. If it's legal, God said, I'll watch over my word to perform. If you don't give me the word, I can't do anything. I need my word. Now, look at Luke 10. I'll show you this. Jesus, I always liked this passage. Now, we used to teach it at women's meetings, and they hated it. But Luke 10, Jesus, been busy. Luke 10, uh, jumping jump to verse 38. So Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcome him into her home. Now, Martha's got to be through My God is the son of God, and he's here with all of his guys. Get the house ready, clean up, man. We've got to get the dishes done. We've got to cook some dinner. We got company. And I got women in my family. Her sister Mary, what's this now? Martha welcomed into the house, but her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. <laughs> yeah. But Martha was, watch this now, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Man, this turkey has got to come out right. We got the dressing. We got the green beans. We got the green bean casserole. We got the apple pie. And I'm in here all by myself. I'm sweating trying to get this dinner right because the Son of God is in my house. He's here. And this has got to be the best dinner I've ever served because it's important. All of a sudden, she's distracted by the big dinner. So she came to Jesus because I love bold women. <laughs> she came and she challenged him. She came to Jesus. She said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister sits here while I do all the work? That's pretty good. You go right to God. Hey, God, this, this stinks. 
This stinks. Oh, I'm working for you. I'm working for you, God. I'm trying to feed you, God. A good dinner, God. I'm trying to feed you, God, and all your people. My sister is sitting here doing nothing. But I'm working. I'm at the church every time the door's open. I work hard for God. I work for God. I've heard those a lot worse than that. I'm cleaning that up a lot. <laughs> Doesn't seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work. Tell her to come help me. <laughs> Jesus. Man, you've been out of shape. <laughs> Woo, Martha, bless your heart. <laughs> now, one translation says where he said, he said, uh, Martha, Martha. Now, when Jesus said, verily, verily, if he said anything twice, he's real serious. <laughs> you know, verily, verily. Listen, listen. He didn't say Martha, Martha, Martha. Kind of been out of shape, aren't you? Now, this is new. I like this. This is New Living Translation. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. But there is only one thing. Everybody say one thing. thing. Say it again. One One more time. Jesus said, you know, you all been out of shape, aren't you, sugar? Trying to get that dressing just right and the house clean and make sure the toilet flushes. He said, there is only one thing worth being concerned about Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her the Bible says in Matthew seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness these things will be added you know everybody from Smith Wigglesworth I don't care who you read about Smith Wigglesworth talking about hey he'd get up early in the morning and uh, he'd dance before God for 10 or 12 minutes bad breath and all he'd get up and just dance before God why? well God inhabits praise and I figure before I start my day I might want to get God to show up why? Because I work for God. The devil's going to come try to take me out. He's going to steal, kill, and destroy. So I like to get God's presence around me and among me. So I might seek first the kingdom this morning. I might, first of all, pray for all those in authority, not put bumper stickers on my truck since I want to lead a quiet and peaceful life. The way God has us designed to live on an alien planet is much different than everybody else. It says, it says that they're going to look at us and ask us about the hope that's in us. Who? Heathens? Why? Because they're not, we don't seem to be worried. Well, you're just an ignorant Christian. You're, you live in fantasy land, la-la land. We live in the real world. No, no, no. No, this is going to disappear. I, I live in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> and let me give you these numbers because nobody reads these. These are not going to be on the news. You can go to your local library and find every one of these. This is currently what's going on. This is what I just pumped at my kids this last week. This is from the Gordon Cromwell Theological Seminary, Southampton, Massachusetts. This is on, this is on your public library. This is about Pentecostalism, because my kids used to, when we got spirit-filled, they said, well, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what? We're one of those kind of Christians. What kind of Christians? Those tongue-talking Christians. Are you embarrassed? Well, yes. <laughs> really? Why are you embarrassed? Nobody else likes us. They're not like us. We're weird. Really? <laughs> You know, Jesus told his own mother to go to the upper room and wait. Mary got it. You know, Mary, we your kings of Ori are silent night, Mary. And she got filled with the Holy Ghost. That's a thought. Mother, I need you to go wait in the upper room because I got to go home. So I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's not weird. He's not goofy. He's not flaky. He's not strange. He's going to do the same thing I've done for you. He's going to help you. He'll help you with your tax money. He'll help you with your sick mother-in-law. He will help you. He's not weird. He's a helper. A helper. He's not weird. He's a helper. I got to go home so I can send the helper because now I'm limited to a human body. I can only be in one place at one time. But now when I go home, I send the helper. He can be everywhere all the time with everybody helping everybody. It's real important you get the Holy Spirit. 
Well, there's a thought for you. He says this. Now, this is this, is this year's stuff. This is from the Theological Seminary in Southampton, and they're, 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 they're not like us. They're not Pentecostals, but this is what they found out. Pentecostalism, they said, has increased in membership from around zero to 500 million in the last 100 years. Right after Azusa Street. Nobody heard of a Pentecostal. That was just some goofy Quaker weird thing. How many of us are there now? 500 million. How many? 500 million. Now watch this. Just think about this. Essay that came out of their seminar said Pentecostalism will be a major religious, social, and political force to deal with for the next 100 years. We're not the weird church at the end of town anymore. God said, in the last days, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You'll dream dreams. You'll have visions. I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. I'm in my greatest hour. The world might be going to hell in a handbasket, not God. I'm in my greatest moment. I'm meeting needs. I am light, and I am life. And they're going to run to me. Through who? Us. Look at this one. U.S. political scientist Walter Meade observed in a celebrated essay they wrote last December that Christianity is on its biggest role in its 2,000-year history. Church has never been more active, more aggressive, and growing more than it is today. Now, you don't see it on CNN. You're going to talk about the economy and the stock market. And we're running out of food and water. We're overpopulated. That's funny. I think we're growing. Last December's issue of Foreign Affairs, this is a secular magazine, British foreign relations scholar Scott Thomas wrote this, that the most dynamic religious explosion in the world is not, Islam, is not an Islamic phenomenon. It is a Pentecostal phenomenon. Foreign Affairs magazine, a secular magazine, the most incredible thing happening on this planet is not Islam, it's the Pentecostals. They're taking over the planet. God said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll speak future things. I'll talk to you when you go to sleep and you wake up, when you walk during the day. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll surround you with the shield of divine favor. I didn't say you wouldn't have tests and trials. You're going to have to whip some stuff, but I'm going to be with you and I'm going to show off some really big time deal. You have mercy. Evangelical Christians now number around 688 million reaching countries such as, watch this now, China, there's a revival in China, India, Indonesia, Nigeria. China is embracing or experiencing right now the most tremendous expansion of Pentecostalism in its history. By the year 2050, the number of Pentecostals in China will number 218 million. You know, I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where Old Roberts University is. There's all kinds of China, Chinese kids at ORU going back to work for the government. You got to read their emails. They got their own websites. These are Pentecostal Chinese. You know, they don't allow Christians in China. You can only have a church of 25 people. And then you got to split. Yet it's exploding like a wildfire. Why? You think you're going to shut God out? We're going to make a law. You can't be here. <laughs> In the same year, by estimation, 2050, this is secular. This is from the secular survey. In the same year, 2050, they estimate that Christians will exceed 3 billion people on planet Earth. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In case you get deceived by watching news and not reading your Bible, hanging out, listening to other people, uh, we're on the move. We're running and not getting weary. We're walking and not fainting. So watch out who you listen to because the devil's a liar. You're not going to make it. Economy's not going to make it. Sure it is. We've got a work to do. It takes money to preach the gospel. It takes money to go to college to preach the gospel. I'll supply all your needs. What about the economy? 
You think economy bothers God? I make axe heads float. I like to float an axe head. Look at this. In the last 50 years, Pentecostals in Latin America, Pentecostals have risen from 13 million to 151 million. In the United States in the last 15 years, Pentecostals have risen from 19 million to 77 million. And after they've gone from 18 million to 156 million. This morning in South Korea, Paul Young Cho will have over 1 million people attend his services. That's one church. Mm. In Lagos, South America, there are two churches sitting side by side down there right now in Buenos Aires. They'll have over 150,000 people there this morning. They, they don't have a building. They just meet on hillsides. They're Pentecostals. Why are you telling us that? Well, because I think sometimes you get to listen to the wrong thing. He said, well, we're going under. Let's just hang on. Ain't no hanging on. We're moving up. We're taking the world. But how's that going to happen? Well, you're going to have to pray. Why? God can't move without prayer. I'm, I've read this to you before. I'm going to close this right here. A great piece of paper. I've worn several of these out. I carry it with me. I remember I was doing a study about uh, uh, smart women. I was reading about Susanna Wesley. How Susanna Wesley married a preacher and then um, the king got overthrown by his cousin and she wouldn't pray for the new king and he got mad and he left her. So the pastor preacher who married this woman left his wife and all 11 children that were still alive because she wouldn't pray for the new king who she thought was a sinner and didn't deserve it. Now, I'm not saying that's biblically correct, but he left. And so the new king died eight months later and he moved back in with Susanna. Susanna, every evening with her kids, now she had 19, but they're 11 at home at one time. Every evening, Charles Wesley and his brother said, my mother every evening would get in the kitchen. She would sit in a chair in the kitchen, and she'll pull her apron up over her head, and she'd pray one hour every day. One hour every day. My mother, because she was so busy. Small house, they didn't have a whole lot of money. And she managed most of the money for her husband, but she would sit down every night for their entire life. It's like, here's the Wesley brothers who wrote over 9,000 hymns and brought revival to Europe. Where'd they come from? A mother who did what? Pray for what? An hour every day. And so mama sat down and she pulled that apron over her head. If you bothered mama when she was praying, she'd slap your ear around next to your nose. She'd move you across the room. Boom! <laughs> that, that was a praying woman. <laughs> you never bothered mom when she prayed. Why? Because we're in a legal situation. If you don't pray, God can't move. We're to pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. Now, I'll just close this real quick. This is in your Bible. But here's what the Bible says. And people all the time, where's God at? He's in heaven. And if nothing's happening, because you're not praying. <sighs> Hezekiah's got a problem. He's been attacked by the Syrian army that's whipped everybody. It's 2 Kings chapter 19. Read it for yourself. The entire army's on him. And they're threatening him. And they make fun. The Syrian king makes fun. You trust in your God? You think your God's going to save you? You think did, did God help the Egyptians? Did their God help them? Did the God help? And he starts naming off all the countries they whipped. Their gods didn't help them. You think your God's going to help you? And man, he's threatening them. So, so he takes the letter that, that Sennacherib's written to him, the threatening letter. This guy goes down into the temple, walks in, lays that letter right on the altar. Boom. You can read it, 2 Kings 19. And he said, God, yeah, here's a letter that Sennacherib wrote. This is what he said about you. And he starts to read off all the accusations that the heathen king has made about God. And he just read them all and said, I just thought you might like to know that. While he was praying to God, a courier runs into the temple from Isaiah the prophet. Hey, I got a word from Isaiah. He said, God told him that he's heard your prayer. Well, he was still, he just finished praying it. He, he just finished praying it. 
evident why he was praying. God speaks to Isaiah. Isaiah sends his courier. Hey, God wants you to know he's heard your prayer. And then Isaiah gives him a letter. And here's what God says about the heathen Assyrian king. That he won't uh, come to your city. He, he won't even come near your wall. Matter of fact, tonight, the angel Lord's going to go into his camp and kill 186,000 of his soldiers. They're going to wake up messed up in the morning. They're going to go home. And it's in the letter. Sennacherib's going to go home. He's going to go to his temple, worship his idol. While he's in there, his two sons are going to come stab him to death, and he's going to drop dead. Now, why am I telling you that? God has angels in heaven you can't count waiting to watch over his word. But nobody will give him any word. We're putting bumper stickers on our trucks and cars. We're cussing our president and our Congress and our government, talking bad about our country. But we're getting what we say. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're supposed to call those things that be not as though they are. Let the weak say I'm strong, the poor say I'm rich. So here it is. I like this right here. Philippians 4, 6. God says, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your request to God. Now, I thought if God's God, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, why do I have to tell him? Because it's a legal situation. Jesus said, I know what you need. I need you to ask why it's illegal. I'm not allowed down there unless you ask me. Satan's the God of that planet temporarily. His lease is running out. But if you ask me, since you're the church, I can legally come down and beat the snot out of him. I can bless you. <laughs> Make your wife suck the lips off your face. <laughs> Just trying to tell you what it says. James 4, 2, you don't have because you do not ask God. 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, God doesn't answer my crying. I can cry. He doesn't move on my crying. He moves over his word. This is what God moves. So if I don't know this, I'm not praying this, he can't move. He's not moving over. Watch this now. God's not moving over my need. He's moving over his word. He's not moving over my need. He's moving over his word. No, we're in trouble. We need help. He can't move over that. You know, I got a bad report from the doctor. It's not good. He can't move over that. But by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. He can move over that. With long life, will I satisfy and show my salvation? He can move over that. God moves over this, not my need. We got people all the time. I've taught intercessor prayer for 10 years. You never heard so much. I mean, it was horrible sometimes. I thought, my God, you know, as you quote any scripture, you prayed for an hour, you didn't quote one verse. But you felt good. Well, I interceded before God Almighty. He could care less. You didn't quote a thing to him that he could use. Angels are still staring at you. You just wasted an hour squalling and bawling. God watches over this, not my, not my need. He watches over his word to perform it. That's why you have church. That's why you go listen and hear the word of God from your pastor. I'm trying to grow in his grace and his knowledge. Because this is what God, woo, this is what scares the devil. I don't scare him. He's afraid of this coming out of my mouth. This is the only offensive weapon I possess over my business, over my family, over my children. Man, we've all known mothers and grandmothers and people that you met. What makes that family so great? Well, there's somebody praying inside that family. Well, they're smart. No, somebody's praying. Somebody's plowing ground and pushing the kingdom of darkness back and expanding the kingdom of God. Somebody's interceding. Somebody's going before God. Somebody's praying for their kids, their business, their family. If you're not praying, God can't move. Look at this, and I'll give you three more here. John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, that will he give to you that <laughs> up till now, up till now, you said you've asked nothing in my name, ask that your joy might be made full. And then I like this one, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, you'll have them. We're in the greatest decade of human history. We're either going to love it or we're going to hate it. 
because there are two kingdoms at war. <laughs> one's lost, one's won. <laughs> Go ahead and join the winning team. Start saying what God says about your wife and your kids. Well, let's stand up. I'm going to show you something. It's real carnal, I'm going to show you something. I used to give these out for free at my table, and nobody would take them. So I laminated them. I now charge a dollar a piece. If you want this, it's going to cost you a dollar. Because I got people, would, you'd preach a sermon, and people would come up, and they'd talk to you like they hadn't been listening for the last hour. Like, did you hear anything I said? What? So I just simplified. I said, listen, just go teach. Just go pray this. So I got one for kids and one for your spouse. So watch this now. You don't find a great marriage. You build one. Nobody got lucky. Well, you got lucky married somebody nice. No, you married flesh, and they've gone stupid on you. Trust me. You don't find a great marriage. You build one. And on the back, these are the scriptures over a husband. What is your husband? Well, he's a, Ephesians 5, he's a lover. All husbands are supposed to be lovers. Ephesians 5, 25. Father, I think of my husband. He's a lover. I don't mean suck the lips off my face lover. I mean take care of me lover. For God so loved the world, he gave. Love gives. It doesn't suck the lips off something. It gives. Ooh, that's good. Start confessing that over your husband. 1 Corinthians 11, 3, he's a leader. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. Dear God, I don't know. My God, I don't know. You just decide. I don't know. I don't care. You decide. All men are supposed to lead. Well, you can't lead if you're not being led. Men don't like looking stupid. So if they're afraid they're going to make a stupid decision, they won't make one. I don't know. I don't care. You do it. I don't, I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. You do it. I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> lead. Number three is provide. First Timothy 5, 8. Any man that does not provide for his family is worse than a heathen. Well, Father, I think my husband's a great provider. You better start speaking what God says of your husband, not what you're looking at. Well, that was good, ladies. To the wife is this. I like this one. Genesis 2.18. My wife's a help me. What is she? Well, she's a demon from hell, and I don't know how I married her. My God, I must have been blind as a bad or drunk. I married a demon from hell. Her mother's a demon from hell. My God, they're all she demons. No, my wife's a help me. She helped me where I'm not good. Thank God for a good helper, Father. Number two, first Timothy, she's a great manager. My wife couldn't manage her way out of a wet paper bag. She couldn't manage nothing. The thing's a mess. She's a mess. I don't know what's making mess. Well, maybe I'll start saying what God says about her. My wife has wisdom to manage our family, manage our home. And then Titus 2, 4, my wife's also a lover. Now, that's a good one, guys. You ought to pray that one. Older women teach the young women how to love their husbands and love their children. If you don't start speaking that, God can't move. If you don't start speaking it, God can't move. And then this is the one on the kids. And her children call her blessed. This is the good one on the back here. This is the real simple one I pray all the time. Father, I thank you for teaching my children to fear you. Why? That's the beginning of wisdom. Number two, Father, I thank you for surrounding my children in divine favor. Why? Because the devil's going to send people to your kids that don't like them. Teachers, coaches, neighbors. No, my children walk with divine favor. People like them. They don't even know why because it's a promise from God. And number three on this thing is, I thank you, Father. My children have godly friends, not ignorant friends. Godly friends that will strike iron. Now, I've got those out there. If you'll start with this, a month now, you'll make your own cards for what you need. Quit grappling and start speaking God's word. Amen? Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, we commit this next decade into your hands. Father, I pray for every family. I thank this incredible church that's teaching your truth. Lord, place us in the middle of your will. Don't leave us on the side, Father. Place us in the middle of your will in the next decade. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Heads bowed just for 60 seconds. Nobody moving. Heads bowed, eyes closed just for 60 seconds. Two quick questions. Nobody looking, nobody moving. Two quick questions. Are you here this morning? Said, Joe, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart. But God's been dealing with me, and I'd like to do something about that. If that's you, I'd like to pray a 30-second prayer right out of the book of Romans over you right now. The Bible says this, those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. 
Salvation is a gift, but you have to ask for it. If you're willing to acknowledge in just a few seconds that you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature. Or perhaps you're here today and said, Joe, I'm saved, but I've not been living for God lately. My life's not turned out like I thought, but I want to do something about that. If that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer we're going to pray out of Romans and those other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. Take your sins as far as the east is from the west. Put them in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sins in heaven. So right now, every head by their eye closed. You said, Joe, that's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life for the first time. Would you pray that prayer over me? Or, Joe, that's me. I need to rededicate my life. I need to get serious with God. I'm ready for Jesus not just to be my Savior. I'm ready for Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Would you pray that prayer over me? If that's you on either count right now and you'd like me to pray this prayer, would you just simply lift your hand up, wave it at me, put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God before I leave this building. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your boldness. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Anyone else? Thank you. See your hand right there. Anyone else? It's so easy. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? It'll never get easier than this. God loves you so much. He just needs your permission. Anyone else? Joe, I'm not raised my hand yet. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, hands down, heads bowed, eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. I told you it'll never get easier than this. We're going to help you pray. God is about to do the two greatest miracles he can do. Save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's all pray this together. Everybody, say this after me. Heavenly Father, come on, everybody. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the many hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a reaffirmation of their faith in you according to your holy word and their obedience, as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They will hear your voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Proverbs 6.20 says you're going to talk to them when they go to sleep, when they wake up and they walk during the day. They're in your hand, Father. No man can take them out. We welcome them both into the family, back into the fold, Father. Surround them with a shield of divine favors. They lead today, Father. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes and bring godly friends into their life that will begin to strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said...